my brother is right. God has got a plan. Yes, who knows that? And Satan has got a plan. God wants to build. Satan wants to destroy. God is for you. Satan is against you. And we see this playing off in the book of Job. It is so interesting. Today I want to talk to you as we go into part 5. And we look at traditional theology. Traditional theology. And I want to say that this is one of the biggest dangers in the modern church today. Is tradition theology. What does the word theology mean? Theo is God. Ology is study. Theology, God's study. This is saying traditional God's study. Now, if you look at the face value at that word, it looks okay, isn't it? We need to learn from our forefathers. And we do, don't we? We take them as examples. In the Bible, there's a lot of examples of them. But where the problem comes in, and this is what Paul warns us in the book of Colossae, is about traditions coming in and setting up laws. And now you have a big group of people in churches who do as their parents did. We go to this church because mom and dad went to that church. So we don't listen to the sermon, we don't listen to the word, we just go there because mom and dad went there. That's a tradition. And it becomes a jail, a prison for so many people. Tradition is a prison. And like I say, the Bible is full of, the sermon today is not about tradition, but it is full of examples thereof. The danger is, is once you sit in that prison, that you shut yourself off from the voice of God through His Word to speak to you as a person. And we're going to see that in a, in, in a person today. His name is Bildad. And, and we're going to explain that and look through that. We see such a man. This man from the Shuite. And his favorite verse that he uses, as you're going to see when he talks to Job today, his favorite verse is in Job 8 verse 8. And this is what he says there in that verse. He says, For inquire, please, of the former age. Inquire of the former age. And like I say, in general, it's not bad because you can learn from the former people and consider the things discovered by their fathers. This is Bildad the Shuite. Now, he is going to give, he's going to bring in talking to Job and thinking that Job has sinned. And this is why God is punishing him. He's going to bring tradition into this. An answer from a, a background of tradition. Last week we saw Eliphaz. Eliphaz was speak, speaking out of experience. Oh, I've seen these things happen before, Job. I've seen this. And experience in itself is also good. But you cannot apply to spiritual things that God does in God's plan. And this is what we're going to see. But before we go in and see what Bildad was talking to Job, let me just take you into Job via another avenue. First of all, I want you to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. We know that in Ephesians, that Paul writes to this church and he says, there is a spiritual war that's going on. And he sends to them, put on the whole armor of God. Who, who has read that passage? You've had so many sermons that you've listened about this. 
And here we find his words in verse 10. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. How can you be strong in the Lord? And he goes on. He explains it to them. Stay in the word. Stay in the spirit and pray. That's how you stay strong in the Lord. He says in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to fight. Is that what it's written there? No, he says to stand. Too many people today want to fight the devil. Never says fight the devil. He says make a stand. This is what Job is doing. He's making a stand. He says there, put on the whole armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. I will preach this sermon in this church. I'm going to preach about the wiles of the devil. If you go back three weeks ago, I touched on it, didn't we? We looked at the accuser then. But the wiles of the devil, dear friends, is so, it's his plans. It is so, uh, you know, divisive. It's so secretive that a lot of people don't know that. But he's got his wiles and we're going to see that today as well. And then he says there, this is what Paul writes. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, one could sit back if you don't study the word often and go, Paul, what are you saying? Who is these principalities? Who is these powers? And look, we can unpack that and explain it to you because they are operating today in the world. My brother said it. He gave us the statistic, didn't he? Violence and all of these things that are happening. The problem today is that we, we look at the flesh and blood. And you know what we want to do is we want to fight the flesh and blood. But we don't see behind them. There is this whole unseen world which is spurring them on. And people get mad at flesh and blood. It's just human. It's just natural, isn't it? Paul says there's this whole other world. That's what our wrestle is against. Principalities. These powers. These rulers of darkness. There is a devil. Who knows that? He's real. Do you believe that? You better believe that. And there is fallen angels. And they roam and operate with him. Some of them are in capture right now under the earth in chains. But some of them are still cast down with him onto this earth. And there are these spirits against you and me as children of God. But then, here in the book of Job, going back in the Old Testament, the slayer is just lifted for us a bit. It's just a little bit of a revelation for us to show us what Paul meant, what's going on behind the scenes. And again, I take you back to Job chapter 1, which my brother did this morning as well. Just to remind you what the attack is against Job, which his friends couldn't see. All they saw was the flesh and blood. Job, you're a sinner. You've sinned. You see, this is why God is punishing you. They were talking not with heavenly wisdom. 
In Job chapter 1 verse 8, you remember, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. That's good, isn't it? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Come on, there's got to be something behind it that he fears you. Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household? Look at this now. Around all that he has on every side, you have blessed the work of his hands and possessed Possessions have increased in the land. But now, but now, you are protecting him. He's serving you because you are protecting him. Look, we have a lot of those Christians in the church today. When it goes well, honky-dory, they all smile and everybody's happy. But when disaster comes to them, when the protection is not there, what do, what do they say? I've heard it so many times. Oh, I'm going to lose my faith. What? What did you just say? I'm going to lose my faith. Why? Because the petrol price went up. Come on, be realistic here. And here is the thing now. He says, but now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse your face. Let it be known here that this is the plan of Satan. He wants Job to curse God, and that's the same plan today. He's going to attack you today. I'm not talking back then. I'm talking current downs here now, current. He's going to attack your family. He's going to attack you so that you curse God, so that you turn on God. I'm going to lose my faith, and I'm going to curse God. That's his plan. Don't forget that. When we see Elipus, when we see now Bildad today talking to Job, when we're going to see Zophar next week, you will see this playing out in front of you. He's just using a different plan. He says, now stretch out your hand, God, and touch him. And what did God says? He says, touch all of his possessions. And he went out, and in one day he lost everything. Everything that he was building up so much. All the energy that he spent. I see so many people today spending energy on building material, spending energy on building a, a status, a name, spending energy on all of these things which can wash away in one day. There's the evidence. And then Satan came before him again. Oh, you know what? He couldn't do that because what does God say in Job 2, 3? And he says to him, he still holds fast what? His integrity. You see that? He says, listen to me. You took everything away from him. His children, his, his ox, everything is gone. But he held on to his integrity. He didn't curse God. So what did Satan say? Obviously he's going to not stop. Although you incite me against him to destroy without a cause. You see that? Destroy without a cause. There was no cause for things to happen. Remember what I said back then? It's things that happen outside of your control. These things that's going to happen outside of your control. In those moments you just have to hang on to God. So in verse 4, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin! You know what that phrase means? He says, oh man, he's only giving his skin to save his life. He will give up his children to save his life. And people are like that today, aren't they? Open up your newspapers, you'll see it all over. People will save themselves at the expense of their children, at the expense of their husband and their wife. Skin for skin, that was the saying back in the day. I find it so amazing that even Satan comes to God with a phrase like that. Skin for skin. He says, come on. Yes, all that a man has... He will give for his life. And that is so true. 
That is all that a man has, he will give for his life. See, if a man starts begging for his life, he will give away everything. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and flesh, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said, you will just not touch his life. You remember that? And he comes over that boils, and so that he could sit there with a potchet and start scratching, scratching the itchiness and the soreness of this poor man. Poor man, poor joke. See him sitting there, shaved his hair, tore his clothes. You know, for us he looked poor, but he wasn't poor. He lost everything, but he had God. That's the most important. His faith was shaken, as some of our faith will be shaken in this world, but he was not destroyed. And now one of the most amazing things happened. The helper, you remember when we go back to the book of Genesis and God looked at Adam and he says, it's not good that he is alone and I'll give him a helper. And it was Eve and not Steve, by the way, but I'll just leave it there for you to ponder about. And he says, look, I'll give him a helper and he gave him a wife. God gave Adam a wife to stand with him, to help him. But not Job's wife. What did she see? She lost everything as well. He goes, curse God and die, man. What's going on here with you? Curse God. He's taken everything. It's because of you. It's because of you. Why did she? Because he got the balls. He didn't get the balls. He's the one. Look at him. He's not the man he used to be, they can say. Shaved it all off. And you see from this point onwards, we don't read again about Satan appearing before God after this, do we? And here sets in the plan that we're going to see. He touches him with sickness and everything, but Job is not giving in. And now he do the next thing. He bring in Job's friends. Can you see that this is a plan from Satan as well? Yes, they came. Great friends in a time of distress, they are there. Sit with him for seven days, not speaking a word. But when they open up their mouths, you can see the plan of the devil behind it. Because what did he want? Only one thing. He wanted for him to curse God in his face. And how are they going to do that? By attacking his integrity. His integrity. Attack your integrity. Say that you're a sinner. Come on, confess it now. You're a sinner and this is why this has happened to you. And that's the attack that we have happened to for 42 chapters in this book of Job. You've got to see it in that light. And then you will understand when we take his friends apart. Now, the last time when we ended, last week, we ended from a question that Job posed to Elipas. And again, I'm going to warn you, it's going to make for a lot of reading today, okay? Is it okay with you? I was going to do it anyway. Thanks. Praise the Lord. <laughs> he says it there. Now, the last time when they ended, he, he asked a question to Elipas, okay? He spoke to Elipas and he asked him a question. Elipas didn't answer back. It's amazing. Elipas gave him this, all of this experience. You know, go and read those chapters again. Listen to the tape again. He gave all of this experience. And he goes, Job, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. Come on, Job. And I've seen this, and I've seen that, and I've seen this. And Job turns to them, and he says in verse 24, Teach me, and I will hold my tongue. Cause me to understand wherein I have erred. Come on. How forceful are right words. But what does your arguing prove? Come on, Elifus. 
Do you intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of this desperate one, which are as the wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless, and you undermine your friend. Now therefore, be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, conceit my righteousness still stands. Is there injustice on my tongue? Cannot my taste discern unsavory? He says that back to Eliphaz, and one would think that Eliphaz will immediately answer him back, isn't it? But these three friends, look, I've showed you before that they came together before they went to Job. And it looks to me as if it's going to be a planned action here. Eliphaz gave his bit out, this clever man, talking with words of wisdom. And when Job asked him back, he couldn't answer back. Now Bildad steps in. Now I'm going to talk to him. The Shuite. Let me give you his characteristic again quickly, and you'll understand when you look at his words. He is a traditionalist, this man. We're going to see a traditionalist today. Uh, he asks a question, and then he tries to explain it with logic, which is based on tradition, the forefathers. He is a very cold, intellectual thinker who's debating the issue at the level of the mind. You get a lot of those people in churches today. A lot of them. Just listen when they talk. He does not speak out of experience, but he used the sayings of the wise and he reflects on them. So that tells me he actually haven't sat down and made it out for himself, did he? He just tells people other people's opinions. And you find so many of those people in the church today. They'll come up to you and they, they don't read the Word anymore. They don't sit and meditate on the Word. They don't ask God to show them through the Holy Spirit the passages and open the Word up to their hearts. They will come and tell you what this author has written in his book about the text. You find a lot of them today, unfortunately. That is what I call a traditionalist. Now, let me just say to you, I do read a lot of commentaries of old preachers. I do. I read books as well. I'm not totally against that. But here's the thing. The book that comes number first for me in my life is this book. It's the Word of God. And I have to sit down. And I had to sit down myself and sit down and let the Word of God and God speak to me personally. Him speaking to me. Now, I'm not claiming here. Let me just correct this. To have personal revelations from God. No, no, he's revealed himself already in his word, didn't he? Didn't he? Come on, answer me, didn't he? Is that what we hold on to? We have to. If I come in here and say, Oh, brothers and sisters, just last night I had a personal relationship. Jesus himself was sitting on the edge of my bed. Man, you know what? I'm busy with, with manipulation and we will not do that here. No, no, it's a written word of God and that stands. This man doesn't speak out of experience. He talks about what others said. And he's certainly a harder man than Eliphaz. He's a brutal man. And he's going to find it in his first place. So let's look at the narrative this morning. He is, uh, uh, this is the devil now. He's trying a few things to convince Job that he's a sinner and to lose his integrity. And he uses Job's friends. Job 8, chapter 8, verse 1. He says, Then Bildad the Shuite answered and said, How long will you speak these things, and the words of your mouth be like strong wind? Does not God subvert judgment? Does not, uh, or does the Almighty pervert justice? What's the answer to those? No. 
God doesn't, isn't it? If your sons have sinned against him, he cast them away for the transgression. If you would earnestly seek God and make your supplication to the Almighty, if you were pure and upright, surely now he would awake for you and prosper your rightful dwelling place. Though your beginning was small, yet the latter end will increase abundantly. Now I want you to look at those words there and see if you can find a dangerous teaching that's going on in the world today. Prosperity preaching, my sister, you're absolutely right. Prosperity preaching. You see, he says you come over strong against God, who is only doing his work. That's what he's initiating here. In the first words. He says your words are so strong like winds and we need to get shelter against this wind that's blowing. He says God's only doing his work, Job. That's why you're sitting where you're sitting. In other words. And then he is so brutal to turn to him and say, your children have sinned and that's why God killed them. Think for yourself for a minute as a friend. Somebody has lost how many children? Ten. Seven sons and three daughters. In one day, are you going to walk in there a week later and say, you know why your children's dead, huh? It's because they sinned. They were sinners. You see, it's hardness in there. And then he touches on this prosperity thing. He says, hey, Job, you know, if you just do things right, if you come to God and confess your sin, you know, he's going to prosper you. Isn't that what you hear from TVs these days? Oh, he's going to prosper you. And let me just say it today. And, and, and look, I want to be so serious about what I'm saying right now. Those people who preach those things will stand before God and confess the sin that they do. Because they are not leading people to God. They are leading them astray. They are shattering God's people. Prosperity preaching is shattering God's people. And if forever... Forever, somewhere, this message comes out to the earing or the hearing of one of those prosperity preachers. Let it be known that they will be judged for what they're saying. Let me tell you, friends, I've been saved. It's not just a, a, a straightforward road. There's been a lot of, since I got saved, it is still a mountain to climb. It's not plain sailing, is it? But these people will say, hey man, if you're a sinner, just come out, man. Five minutes, pray the prayer, you're safe now. God's going to bless you so much now, man. And you know the problem is, a week after that, those same people run into a difficult situation and they lose faith. Not in the man who said it, but in God. That is what it is. And this is a dangerous thing he's dabbling into. He says, come on, Job, you've tasted some wealth in your life. You were a wealthy man. But God's going to restore you. Oh, He's going to restore you. You know what they want to do is they want to get followers for themselves. He says, you will get rich just acknowledging that you've sinned. But the problem here is, and this is Job's calamity, he was rich and upright when this happened. Have you noticed? That's what happened. And uh, we will see that he starts talking this now. Now, he comes to him now in verse 8 and he says, Tradition is the answer. Verse 8, For inquire, please, of the former age, and consider the things discovered by their fathers, for we were born yesterday and know nothing, because our days on the earth are shadow. 
Will they not teach you and tell you and add the words from their hearts? Is, is that, by the way, right? It is right what he's saying there. It is true. Life is but a shadow. It is absolutely true what he says. He uses the support actually for the wrong conclusion. And that's where the problem lies in. Because, you know, where does this leave us? If you and I want to go somewhere now for our forefathers, he goes, just go and talk to our forefathers, Job. Where can you and I go to our forefathers sitting here at Canham Downs? Who's your forefathers? Who have you got as a reference point to go to traditionally to say, what I'm doing can give me help here in the spiritual scenes? Some of us is out of our countries, out of our families. We're in different countries. Where do you go? Where do I go? Anybody wants to have a stab at that? Where do we go? Where's our forefathers? Oh, you can go into the library and go and start reading the books of Ignatius and the forefathers, the church fathers, and so on. Yes, that's good. That's good, isn't it? It leaves us with no forefathers that we can go to like build that as. But man, I've got great news for you today. I don't need to go to the forefathers. No, I don't. In Psalm 119, verse 19, he says, You, this is the psalmist, he says to God, Through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies. For they are ever with me. That is his enemies and his commandments, okay? I have more understanding than all my teachers. Who gave him that understanding? God did. He says, for your testimonies are my meditation. So where did he get all of his understanding from? From the meditation of the testimonies of whom? Of God. I understand more than the ancients. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Now I'm walking on very, very thin eggshells here. Because you get people and they go, it's a new revelation. Have you heard that one? Oh, we've got a new revelation. And then I go to them and say, that's fantastic. You know, it's great to have new revelations, And But where is it in the Word of God? Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. It's not there. It's revelational knowledge now. It is above the Word of God. And I go, ah, oh, it's a lot of nonsense. It's a lot of nonsense. Revelational knowledge. But they go, wait a minute, but here the psalmist say this. He says, I've got more knowledge than the ancients. He says it right there. He says, more understanding than all my teachers. But he is correct. Friends, I would want to say to you today that even the forefathers, the church fathers, would sit in the church today. The Lord has revealed so many things to us, but it's not new. He's revealed it to them as well. It's not, nothing's new under the sun. It's all there. So where do you and I go to, our forefathers? We go to the Word of God. We go to Him. Now I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you can't go and read up again, you know, revelations that was made to our forefathers. I'm not saying you can't do that. But for your reference point and for your relationship with God, you go to His Word. And that's where you go. Now, now he goes on in verse 8, uh, build that. He says in verse 11, can the, and he's, he's going he's gonna to hope to show now to Job that he's a hypocrite. And he uses sayings of the day 
to prove to him the traditionalist way. He says, can the papyrus grow up without a mass? And the answer is no, it needs a mass to grow. Can the reed flourish without water? No, you need water for it to go. While it is yet green and not cut down, it withers before any other plant. So are the paths of all who forget God, and the hope of the hypocrites shall perish, whose con- uh, confidence shall be cut off, and who, whose trust is a spider's web. He leans on his house, but he does not stand. He holds it fast, but he does not endure. He grows green in the sun, and his branches spread out in the garden. His roots wrap around the rock heap and look for a place in the stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have not seen you. You see, what he's saying here, and, and what he's using, you see, using nature to show to Job that you need God to prosper. And this is true. He's saying it in a true way. But the thing is, dear friends, his application is wrong. He has been used now, and he says, you're a hypocrite, Job, and if you just come to the point and say that you're a hypocrite and repent, God will bless you. It comes back to that message, to lose his integrity. So, uh, he's going to use natural illustrations now in verse 19. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the earth others will grow. Behold, God will not cast away the blameless, nor will he uphold the evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughing and your lips with rejoicing. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the dwelling place of the wicked will come to nothing. Bildad is really laying it in here to Job. But the problem is, there's three problems with this man's, these people's approach here. The first one is they answer Job's words without trying to find out what the reason is for what he's going through. Have you noticed? They didn't ask him. They just tell him. A lot of people will come to you in your circumstances. And they will tell you what your problem is. Never bother to listen. Their theology was incomplete, in, in, in other words. And they could not see the big picture. It reminds me of a story that I've heard about three blind men, four blind men. And they put an elephant in the room in front of them. And they said, we want you to describe to us the elephant. And one man came and he's blind and he came up to the trunk and he felt the trunk. And he said, the elephant is to me like a snake. And they say, that's fine. And the second man came down and he had the, the, one of the legs of the elephant. And he went around and he felt the elephant. And he said, the elephant to me is like a tree. That's true. You know, it feels like a tree. And the other one went up against him and he pushed against him. He says, for me, the elephant is like a, it's like a wall. And the fourth man was at the tail. And he grabbed the tail and he felt the tail. And he says, the elephant for me is like a rope. Were they all correct? Yes, they were. And they started saying, no, 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 it can't be a rope, it is a snake, I felled it. And the other one said, no, 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 it's a tree, I felled it, it's a tree. And they started, you know, arguing with one another. But what they couldn't see is they couldn't see the big picture. They all were right. But they had to see the big picture. And this is what's happening here. The theology, theology is incomplete. They never ask God, and if you notice through this, for his help to open up their minds. Have you ever found them praying with Job? No, that's what you can do for your friends, dear friends. You can pray for them. So he comes to me and says, tradition is telling me that you're a hypocrite. Because look how you're suffering. You've lost everything. You're sick. 
tradition is telling me, our forefathers tells me that. Now let's quickly look at Job's reply here. He explains in chapter 9 the difficulty that he has with God. And I want you to listen to this in verse 1. Then Job answered and said, Truly I know it is so. But how can a man be righteous before God? How? It's a good question, isn't it? How can you be righteous? If one wishes to contend with him, he could not answer him one time out of a thousand. So it's so difficult. And then he goes on to say, how can you examine God? Look at this. I find this fascinating reading. Absolutely. In verse 4, God is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Is it true? Who has hardened himself against him and prospered? No one. He removes the mountains and they do not know when he overturns them in his anger. He shakes the earth out of its place and its pillars tremble. He commands the sun and he does not rise. He seals off the stars. He alone spreads out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. He made the bear, Orion, and Pallades, and the chambers of the south. He does great things past find, finding out. Yes, wonders without number. I find it absolutely fascinating that in Job's day, that he could see Orion and he could see Pallades. Yes, he could look up in the stars, but it's already known to him. We've got telescopes that goes into space and we go, wow, that's new. But back then, these men knew, isn't it? But what is he saying here? He says, God, who can, he's examining, God is so big. If I read that and I think, how big is God? How big and vast is vast domain? Yet small enough to dwell within our hearts. This is how big God is. The God that we serve. And there is no way to examine God. So how will we know the problem? Job is sitting there. He's lost everything. He's sick. God is so big. Nobody can examine God. That is the problem. I want you to notice he's working up to a climax here. And then... If you understand how big God is, how can you get a hold of God? Can anybody? He sees it there in verse 11. If he goes by me, I do not see him. Is that true? Can you see God go by you this morning? You can't see him. If he moves past, I do not perceive him. If he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Job He's sitting there and I can feel the despair coming on. How can you get a hold of God to debate with Him the issues that's causing the hurt in your life? Have you felt like that sometimes? I talk to people and I feel like that. They're going through a struggle in their lives and they say, where is God? Where is God? It feels as if when I'm praying, my prayers hit the ceiling and they go, don't go to God. Job had that same feeling here. Now, He's showing us the acts of his God through the history. In verse 13, he says, God will not withdraw his anger. The allies of the proud lie prostrate beneath him. How then can I answer him and choose my words to reason with him? How can I do this? For though I were righteous, I could not answer him. I would beg mercy of my judge. But where do I? That's my question. Where do I? If I called and he answered me, I would not believe that he was listening to my voice. For he crushes me with a tempest and multitudes of my wounds without cause. 
He will not allow me to catch my breath, but fills me with bitterness. And it is a matter of strength. Indeed, he's strong. And if justice, who will appoint my day, excuse me, in court? Though I were righteous, my own mouth would condemn me. Though I were blameless, it would prove me perverse. I'm blameless, yet I do not know myself. I despise my life. Friends, if you sit any day with anybody and you want to counsel them and you don't find any words to say to them, come to Job. Come to Job. I've been with people who's in this situation. And I feel this desperateness there. Where can I go, Job says? Can I get a day? You know, if somebody does something wrong today, we say, I want to have my day in what? In court. And here, what do we find? He, we find that he says, that, how can I get to this God? How can I reach out to him? I can't catch him. He's too big to examine. Where do I go? What can I do? In 22, he says, it is all one thing. Therefore, I say, he destroys the blameless, the wicked. If the scorch lay suddenly, he laughs the, uh, at the plight of the innocent. The earth is given into the hand of the wicked. He covers the face. You see, it is just continuing on and on. He says, now he says, life is incomprehensible with our God. In verse 25, now my days are swifter than the runner. The flee away, they see no good. They pass me like swift ships, like an eagle swooping on his prey. If I say I will forget my complaint, I will put off my sad face and wear a smile. I'm afraid of all my sufferings, he says. In verse 30, I wash myself with snow water and cleanse my hands with soap. But you will plunge me into the pit and my clothes will abhor me. It's a terrible situation. But friends, I want to come to this point and I want to talk about this more further. Look at verse 32. He says here, there's a gulf between God and man. A huge gulf. He says, therefore, he is not man as I am. And that's true. That I may answer him. And that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Let him take his rod away from me. And do not let me dread to terrify him. Then I would speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. And I can see here a ray of light. What Job is doing here is he's giving to us that weight was, that was on the people in the old days. He says, look, there's this massive gulf between us and God. God is in heaven. And I can't examine Him. And I can't touch Him. I can't pull Him in and sit Him down in a court. I can't ask Him. I can't argue my case with God. Can you feel that gap? And that gap is still there today. So many people are still sitting where Job's sitting. But they didn't realize that in the New Testament, there is one who came. What is his name? His name is Jesus. In the New Testament, he came. God became man and lived with us. He came and he took on the name Son of Man. That title means that he's putting his hands in heaven and he's putting his hands on you. And he became that intermediary. He became that high priest. He became the one that is between you and God. Today, while you and I are sitting here, He is praying for us. He's interceding for us. Job didn't know Him. 
Job didn't know him then because he was looking forward to the cross. We are looking backwards to the cross. I don't know what you're going through. You know, some of us is going through circumstances. It might not be as hard as Job's circumstances. But know this today. There is a ray of light. There is an answer here. And Job has given it to us. He says to us in this passage, here is that massive gap here. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 1, he says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and the high priest of our confession, which is Jesus Christ. He's the high priest of our confession. But then we're going to see in chapter 10 that he's been cast back into darkness again. Job. He gets this ray of light. He goes, there's this gulf between God and man. He sees it for what it is. For a moment there, Job could sit there and say, there's something else than uh, flesh and bone that I see. Who is going to be the one who intercedes in that area? And like Andres has said this morning, there, was, there were no high priests there back in the day. He offered himself. He himself made the offerings. So cast it back again, he talks about his despair. And he says to God from verse, uh, chapter 10, verse 1, he says, tell me what is wrong. Look at verse 2. I will say to God, do not condemn me. Show me why you contend with me. He's praying now. He says to God, why are you contending with me? Chapter 10 is a prayer. And it's two things that he prays there. Have you ever prayed that prayer? God, why are you contending with me? He cries it out. But it's like words that's in the wind blown away because there's no one who can intermediate for that. And then the second part in there, he says, tell me what's wrong, Lord. And then he's going to say to the Lord, leave me alone for a while. He says, just give me a little bit of a break here, God. Two things in that prayer in chapter 10. He says, I would not have been thought as I'd seen. I would have been carried from the womb to the grave. And then he says, cease, leave me alone that I may take little comfort. Just leave me alone for a bit. But his friends are there. The traditionalist is there. He's saying to him, Job, our forefathers say that you've sinned. And this is why this happened. So, there's three things that we can take home today. Three things. First of all, tradition is good. Yes? But the Bible is better. Would you agree with that? Tradition is good. We should listen. You know, I I often say to my children, I knock my head against the rock, and I'm telling you the rock is lying down the road. If you go down the road, 20 steps to the left, there's a rock there. Don't bump your toe against that. But you know what children say these days? They say, oh, Dad, I've got a feel for myself. They walk down there and they kick the rock. So we have to listen to the forefathers and so on. But the Bible is better. The Bible will tell you why the rock is there. The Bible will tell you how to get rid of the rock so that you don't bump your toe against the rock. Traditionalists will say it's lying there. Psalm 119 verse 98 I bring again to you where he says that my testimonies, uh, when he meditated on the testimonies of God, his understanding was better than his teachers. The second thing I want to take home from this, and, and I believe the Holy Spirit will make you take a lot of other things with you, it's make time to listen to someone in trouble and pray for wisdom. Isn't that good advice? And I picked this all out of this. 
Bildad, Yeshuaite, that's where he comes from. If you can only listen to what Job is saying instead of coming to him and telling him. And thirdly, I want to leave you with the ray of light. What is the ray of light, friends? It's Jesus Christ. doesn't matter your darkest hour. He's there. He shines the light in. He will give you the big picture. The big picture here was behind the scenes that Satan wanted to bring down the integrity of Job. Never forget that. And he wants to do the same with you. So three things we take from this. We do not hold on to traditions of the world, traditions of teachers. We hold on to the tradition of the Word of God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your Word.